0: welcome to model railroad hobbyist podcast first one for a brand new decade 2020 soon be 10 years that we've been doing this uh i've got a bottle of helium so i think we'll have some fun all right here we go got jim and chris on board i've i jotted down some things that i wanted to talk about and (gasps) uh, one of them and i you know, at the at the club, everybody knows I remoter, and I always blame you for <laughs> <laughs> for starting that bug. So, a couple facets to that is you know what started out as just one or two locomotives is now up to like a dozen pushing fifteen locomotives, and. Uh, And they're all that nineteen mid-1900 to early 2000s lifelike era proto-2000s because the bodies Mm -hmm. were great. And it's just Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. mechanism sucked by today's standards. (laughs) And Well, it's also
1: like supporting it too. I mean, some of those parts are just unobtainium anymore.
0: That's right. So when I, on the E units, yeah, I go in and machine the frame out. And then your either the CODO that you recommended or the, the new ready to run uh, ather motor with the, the four pins at the bottom just drops right in, screw it in. Uh, you've got the good hex drive uh, mm-hmm. flywheels. I use uh, A Line's drive shaft with the flexible uh, hex connection, and I put in your. Worm gears and stuff. And it's just a a smooth running thing. So back before, I think you were still a Microscale. It may have been before you joined Atherin. And they ran the the two Genesis uh, Sunset chair cars. Yeah. Beautiful cars. Mm -hmm. And representing the era where Southern Pacific had started removing the full-width diaphragms. And so they sat in a box just for years. And then over the last three or four years, I ended up collecting about 15 feet of uh, those cars, Broadway Limited's uh, articulated units, uh, you know, observation car and so forth. And so I thought, well, good heavens, I've got a train here. And so... uh, I had been running with, a uh, again, a, a more up-to-date new version Proto E7, which I didn't bloody nose when they started introducing that paint scheme. And then
1: uh-huh.
0: I found a new-in-the-box, still-sealed-up, that original light blue box Proto Daylight E-Unit. So mm-hmm. went in, machined it. I had uh, a couple of your motors, new in the package, put them in, got the all the parts in, added the extra SP details, like the grab irons down the fireman's side of the nose, and so forth. Right. Put a couple of uh, JT's uh, speakers into it, and Tsunami too, and I ran it with the bloody nose. And so, for the show this coming weekend here in... Plano, the Dallas area show at the Plano Convention Center. I'm selling a bunch of cars. You know, I've got like 40-some ready-to-run rotary dump coal cars. And they've been weathered. Uh, There's different road names. Some of the... Later, once I had started before we left New Orleans, I'd started putting in coal loads. Yeah, not just okay. the plastic ones, but I had cut the pink foam and then glued on HO lump coal. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to run them, I'm going to sell them. So I took them into the club, and everybody was bringing in stuff they want to sell so it could be priced and so forth, and sold one of the five unit. Uh, well cars to one of the members. He said, hey, don't worry about pricing it. I'll buy it. And I think another guy's buying some of the coal cars. But anyway, so we're sitting here working the other night putting this together and one of the guys is uh goes, Hey, watch my stuff. I'm gonna go over to Whataburger and grab a bite to eat. And I oh, said, yeah. Sure, go ahead. And I love Whataburger, but you know I don't eat it four times a week, you know. So I said, yeah, go ahead. I'll be here. And I looked. I said, wait a minute. What are these proto-Es? And he said, yeah. He said, take a look at them. And I went, my gosh, they're E eight A's and they're in daylight. He said, yeah, they've never been out of the box, never been run. So when he came back, I had given him a bunch of stuff that, he was using and I wouldn't take money for it. I just said, here, no, no, just take it, just take it. So I said, hey, how much do you want for the, uh, the Protos? And he said, they're yours. Mm-hmm. So now I can, I'll have three A's. So I'll just run two of elephant nice. style, one in the back. Right. And in fact, the right third one, him. hey, Jim. Hi. The third one may become just a sound dummy because oh, I don't okay. need the pulling power. But it's a good looking train. And the other thing, one of the other guys comes by and he, he's got these I recognized Genesis boxes. And I said, what are those? And he said, oh, tri-level auto carriers. And I said, open side? He said, yeah, they don't even have the uh, anti-vandalism on the side. I said, let me see them. <laughs> he showed me because yeah. I've, I've acquired eight of them and weathered him and all that and started buying cars and trucks for him and I said what do you want for these so he made me an offer and I said put those puppies in my, lo- or my locker here and I will get you that amount of cash so been interesting just getting ready for the show which is this weekend and uh, we have the club will have open houses both days and then uh, you're going to sell stuff at the show you have to volunteer and work the club booth you know to help sell right. the stuff and all that and so george's you know butakis is going to be in town because his family lived uh down in arlington so may be able to get together with him for a meet and greet at the club uh, but you're in denver are going to be in denver Yes, Okay. I will be. Okay. So, uh, it should be a pretty good show. It's a two-day show, so we'll see. Are you familiar, either one of you guys familiar with uh, the Vallejo uh, weathering washes? Yes. I had picked some up on a whim two months ago brought them home, because I'd been making my own washes, and I went, well, let me give these a try, and so I took a, you know, an old car and started playing around with it, and I went, wow, this is is pretty neat. So the other day, after looking at them some more, and doing a few cars in them, I had uh, two Genesis FP45s that, you know, I'd put Tsunami 2 in, and Uh, JT speakers and they were still clean out of the box along with the train that goes with it and I thought okay I want to subtly weather the top of these locomotives not grime them up just they've been in service and we've got a little dirt on the roof little soot around the exhaust and so forth. And I thought, okay, let me try the uh, Vallejos and got it out with some uh, black. And what I liked about it is that I put it down on the surface and I just very softly with the, the brush just kind of worked it in a circle to where the surface tension of the, the wash dissipated and it would flow and spread out on the top and so I did the top of it and then set it aside just let it dry uh overnight just to see what it looked like when I came back the next day looked at it it looked like a flat surface that just had accumulated dirt and so I did a little bit more put on another coat uh did the trucks the fuel tank and then of course the front and rear pilots and the uh, front and rear running boards to represent the photos I'd collected of these locos on the Super Chief before the Santa Fe started letting the cleanliness slide in the last years. And right. it turned out uh, very, very convincing. So I grabbed my second set of MTH PAs and did a lighter version of it oh yeah and uh just a hint of dirt on the hood because the other set I had weathered a little more heavily with pigment and uh stuff like that and so when I put these as an ABA it'll be like two different sets were brought together uh to pull whatever train I put it in front of it either the super chief or a secondary mail train, whatever. But I'm a new fan of uh Vallejo. I just love it. I oh, always yeah. bought more today.
1: Yeah, the military guys, they, they know what's up when it comes to good good paint.
0: Yes. And I bought some they've got some that's a little heavier, called like splashed on mud, heavy mud and stuff like that. Like you say Targeted at the uh, military guy doing uh, dioramas. But, mm-hmm. so I took him out today. I mean, it's like 65 here today. So I took it out and dull-coated it, the locomotives and stuff. And then I'm okay. going to Paul. do some.
2: Paul, did you dull-coat it before you put the wash on as well? Or did you just put the wash right on the locomotive?
0: No, I just put it right on the locomotive.
2: Oh, okay. All right.
0: And I had checked with some guys, and I said, should I dull coat it to give it bite? And they said it can work either way. So that's why I was saying, Jim, I took this big, soft, well, not big, maybe 3 16 long, quarter inch, soft bristle, and just like if I were massaging a knee or something just around, and the surface tension of the Vallejo fluid just Went away and next thing it's just nice and smooth and flat on the surface of the plastic. Even on the PA with that high gloss uh, MTH. So I dull coated them and I'll accent a little bit of that with uh, MIG powder. I've got MIG uh, weathering powder that I've been using on my track as I ballast it. I mixed up a concoction that looks like rusty rail. And with a small brush, I just go down the side, and a little bit hits it tie plates. And I, you know, if I can't see it, and I look at it from different angles, then I don't do the side I can't see. But the stuff that's up close and going around the corners, I do both sides. And I'll post some pictures of it. It does look very, very convincing like rusted rail. So I'll add just a little bit more on the, uh, uh. PA and stuff, especially on the pilot areas and stuff, where you got, you know, hoses rubbing there, and you get a little surface rust and stuff from scratches and so forth. But it's been keeping me off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that's good. So that's a start. Jim, what's been up uh, in your world?
2: Um. Well, I just got back from. Florida, Cocoa Beach, uh, RPM. So did that this last weekend. Uh, I saw some photos on that. I
0: was reading about that on Facebook.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Looked like a Um, good show, Jim.
0: it, It, it,
2: it is. Um, there's not a lot of models as many, I think as they would like it's, it's, uh, but it's a great group of guys that always go down and, Normally, uh, some interesting clinics, um, they can be a little more, hmm, I don't want to necessarily want to say esoteric, but um, uh, what is the word? Um, Pointed clinics, you know, like very, you know, how to model mail cars on the Rutland between, you know, February 1st, 1942 and February 28th, 1942 that, you know, yeah. uh, It wasn't as bad as that, but sometimes they can be as, you know, pointed as that. Um, So, but there's a lot of generals that, you know, Lance Minheim always goes and I didn't get a chance to see his clinic. Uh, Tony Custer is always there, um, and you know it's always you know it's like most RPMs, you go there to, to talk to people. Yeah, you know more than anything else. Uh, you you look at models, you look at what they've been doing, and you and you talk to people. I was I was kind of amazed there were actually five guys who do Proto 48 there. What? Like, yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: I don't believe you you need to take pictures of that uh we have a <laughs> photograph
0: actually
2: we have
1: photo a- evidence is necessary in a situation like that uh,
2: yeah yeah no, no there is a photograph actually good <laughs> uh, so i have to post i have to post the pictures up of uh the uh, a bunch of proto 48 stuff i was actually you know i'm looking around and i'm, I'm like oh a nice o-scale stuff this is is cool oh wow it's Portal 48 wow more than just me um <laughs> uh, but uh yeah i didn't bring very much with me i just brought my mp-15 with me um mm-hmm. which uh, you know i think is fairly well weathered needs a little bit more work but uh, um uh used i want to say it's a mig product it's really neat it's for specifically panel lines um oh yeah yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very fluid, um, it's a, it's basically a wash with a very small brush in it mm-hmm. and you can just, you just dab it on the edge of a, on the edge of a door and it'll run the length of the door. It's amazing. It's like zip and you get, you don't have to do anything, just dab it and I think it's MIG, um, uh. Somebody showed me at the uh mid Atlantic RPM and all oh, um oh for the love of Pete, I can't think of his name. Um, I had a, <laughs> I had his name before I the call. It's like wow. It's uh, oh. you know, Is this so. what they call a senior moment? Yes, very much so. because um, this is this is embarrassing. Uh Butch Eiler. Um Oh Butch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Butch. Um, so, yeah, he had shown me at MERPM, and it's like, wow, that, you know, I just went to town on the side of the engine, and it looks so much better um, mm-hmm. and really easy to use. Uh, you know, some people was wow? Well, I just make my own wash up with, uh, you know, Artist Oils. Yeah, okay. I'm, oh. sure you, I'm sure you can do that, but this is a whole bottle that will last you for the rest of your life. Um <laughs> Because if you run out of this stuff, you're weathering a lot, lot of models. Um, <laughs> so it's not a small bottle, it's 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 a pretty sizable bottle. But um, yeah, I had that with me with uh, running around on the, I'm kind of amazed that, that the um, I had that installed, uh, I wanna say in July, uh, July, August, maybe on the outside. And um, now I don't operate with that locomotive, but mm-hmm. uh, bad to, I haven't charged the battery once and it still runs. So, as I said, I have a small switching layout and I'm not pulling 15,000 cars with it. But, yeah, you know, considering it's been six months and the battery still is holding a charge, is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty interesting, I
1: think. So, are you doing radio control on your
2: switcher yeah. there? Yeah. Battery, a battery radio control. It's, a, it's a, actually DCC. Um, and what Tam Valley uh, Depot did is he gives he, – it's a little controller, and it's the entire DCC system in your hand. Mm-hmm. It will do everything a, a standard DCC system will do. Um, it's just way more clunky than an NCE controller. But uh, you can control it. If, you know, if I get the right transmitter, I can control everything with a, with an NCE controller. I could do that. But have, have, Hey, Jim, have you seen the new thing that Tam Valley
1: is working on? No. It's a Bluetooth module that connects to a DCC decoder. Okay. And, and you running. can control your train
2: directly from your phone. Yeah, uh, when I went to uh, the West Coast for Model Rail Radio Show 100, which was a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, I I actually stayed one night with Duncan, and mm-hmm. uh, he showed me the prototype. So he had oh. like he had. A, so you know about it? I I, I kind of know about it, but I didn't realize it was more beyond that. But yeah, he had a. I want to say it was an hon three, but it could have been ON thirty locomotive mm-hmm. that he had, had, and he was running it on his, you know, floor in the house. So no track in the house, just running it, and with his phone, <laughs> just running around. Yeah, just <laughs> like yeah, an RC car. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's kind of like what I was doing with the locomotive. I'm just running it back and forth with this handheld mm-hmm. controller. It's, it, it's not any bigger than your cell phone. Um, right, but it's you know it's doing all the uh, the the work of the DCC system. The right. the good thing about it is because it's slightly different. Um, I wasn't tempted to buy a proto throttle because mm. oh, I was definitely tempted to buy one, and they're not inexpensive. Uh, but because of the adaptation that would I would need to do, it's mm-hmm. not something I can just jump in and do. So I was like, well, that's right, right. But that would be so seriously cool with that big engine and, um, yeah, and that. Cause I, I was playing around with it. Now, the engines, I, they had a pretty big setup. So they had a set of three, um, G, uh, Santa Fe GP60Ms mm-hmm. with, with Tsunami 2s. So you set the brake. And you could you know, you run it up to notch eight, set the brake, set it up to notch eight, so it's sitting there spooling up <laughs> into notch eight. So it's like full throttle, and then you let the brake off, and it just slowly moves ahead, and then you notch it back, just like you would in real life when you're trying to move a heavy car. You, you notch the thing way up. It's not moving for a little while, and then the, it'll sl- slowly start moving. And I don't know... If this, it would work the same way with, um, a, um, uh, Loke sound decoder. Okay. I'm not quite sure how they work. I didn't try it, uh, um, because they did have a Loke sound locomotive there, but I didn't try it with that one. Gotcha.
0: My experience with ESU is, uh, having done just that notch up, to Six or eight and then begin cracking the throttle, yeah, it does exactly as you described then you start getting because the the notching up is not tied to the throttle so as you start just increasing well, the speed steps
2: are, are you using a proto throttle?
0: no, no the the context is uh, an nce uh, you know proto throttle
2: well. Okay, but see, with a proto throttle, all you have is the notch handle. You just have the notch handle, the, okay. the, eight, the eight notches, you have forwards and forward and reverse and a brake handle. That's all it is.
0: Oh, okay.
2: So it's like controlling a, lo- a real locomotive just without the dynamic brake handle. And when I asked them about dynamic brakes, he said, there isn't a d- decoder that where the dynamic brakes function like dynamic brakes. So they're either on or off mm-hmm. that you can't notch it. Um, so that's why they didn't confuse things by putting a dynamic brake lever on the uh, the face. You know, older locomotives, it doesn't really make any difference. And most people, when they're operating, if you're switching and stuff like that, they're not, which, you know, if you're, this is up uh, I would say a proto throttle is something for switching. Yeah, more than see that. You know, and whereas if you want more control out on a road, I mean, it's not that you can't use it for a road freight, but this is something if you have a switching layout and you want to be moving the thing around a lot, um, it's perfect. It's it's great. Great for you're sli- going to enjoy that sort of yeah. going through the motions. Right. Know. Yeah. It's a lot more, you know, you're not just out there running the train. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're running a road freight, I would be perfectly fine using my cell phone for that. Yep. Whereas a proto throttle, way more, you're in a yard or you're switching a local. It'd be great. Right? right. Yeah. Great for that. Um And you know what? And when you're switching a local, you're not using dynamics. So. hmm not not much but but definitely it's a very impressive uh but not inexpensive uh relatively speaking for what it is i do not think it's overpriced it's just expensive
0: well, how much are they
2: 450 dollars nominally could be 500 but between 450 and 500 okay just for the throttle so but it's doing all the you know it's figuring out how to talk to the how to talk to the decoder so that the controls on the proto throttle do what a prototype throttle would do with a model decoder. If that makes any sense. So it's- yeah,
1: kind of taking a, the it's taking the simulation aspect from the game and kind of making it so it, it's physical. you know you right. can actually do that with your models. Right,
2: so it's not you. Don't have thirty-two speed steps anymore. You have eight. Yeah, just like just like in real life, eight have, and a and a break, <laughs> eight, eight and a break. Yeah, forwards, backwards, stop, bell, headlight. You know, you have you have all the controls you have on a locomotive essentially, except for the mm. dynamic brakes. And not all locomotives have dynamic brakes. So, oh well. Yeah, if you you know you run for the B and M, there's no dynamics.
0: Let me, ask a, let me ask a question then. So you've set up the decoder, and if you set it up at 128 or 8, whatever, does the proto throttle then extrapolate all those speed points as it works up through the 8 notches? Do you happen to know?
2: I don't happen to know. He would be a great Perth. They would be great to get on the show to have them have them explain it because that's a great question i would yeah scott michael and nathan
0: yeah uh, okay
2: definitely it would be good to get them on the show um Mm -hmm. to explain all this but i would tend to think that once you set the decoder up the way that you want it um it's just gonna make it work i don't mean i don't know how it works okay it's you know you, you yeah you you're used to a knob you're used to a knob with a a bunch of speed steps and that's gonna go away it's right. it's much more it is very much like running a real one mm-hmm. as opposed to now i am not an engineer but i have run locomotives so um so you know I basically can Run a real train about as well as I can, a model train with a proto throttle. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of these things I can run a locomotive, I can run a train, but you don't really want me doing it. Yeah, I would say it's very much that experience. And if that's not but, the experience you want, don't buy it.
1: Well, what's also neat about the proto throttle, too, Jim, is you know, people are going out of their way to try to make the models sound more prototypical. Yep. You know, so they're doing extra stuff with like an NCE throttle to ramp up the prime mover and do this and that. Yep. And You know, set the brakes and things. Um, what's really neat is you don't need to do all that with the proto throttle. You just run your locomotive like the real, like a real uh, engineer would. Right. And <laughs> they've set it up so all the sounds are kind of Kind of like built around the motions that you can make with the proto throttle to actually control a locomotive. So you don't have to try to, you know, I guess
2: fudge it a little bit
1: with like a hammerhead, NCE hammerhead or a Digitrax DT400 or something.
2: Right. Where you have to, if you, although it's easier with a, in, in to a certain extent, you don't have to think about notching at all. You don't have to think about notching and you don't have to think about, you know, where is the thing going to, you know, switch phase? You know, when is it going to do this? It's just, just going to do it because there are, yeah. eight you know, there are eight notches. So the, the, the decoder is going to figure it out. The, the, um, the well, the decoder and the throttle are going to figure it all out. So, right. and that's the thing. And like Chris said, is you're not... Okay, well, I'm going to do manual notching so I can get this thing to react the way that I want it to sound wise. Um, right. I wouldn't use this if I don't have sound decoders. Uh, I mean, you could, absolutely, but I don't know why you'd want to. So, right. you know, if you're one of these people, and I know there are some out there that don't like sound decoders, they like their model railroads to be silent or they don't want to pay for the sound, then. You know, I wouldn't buy them, but for the person that really wants a more immersive experience, I would highly recommend it. You go, you try it. If you love it, you buy one, but understanding it is not an insignificant purchase, but I do not think they are overpriced because it's doing a lot of heavy lifting. You know, if, you understand what I'm saying. It's doing yes. a lot of heavy lifting that you're not having to do. And it's just making it more realistic. Right. We definitely need to get them on the show so you can ask them any question you want. Cause I can't answer it. I went and I played and I knew that I wasn't going to buy one. So I wanted to fiddle with it for a little bit. And then I let other people who are you know, probably more likely to buy one, step in so but it was really cool when I was playing with it and that oh yeah that's kind of the, the neat thing about an RPM if they if they're going to an RPM like that particularly a smaller RPM um, Cocoa Beach is one of the more popular ones it's actually they were celebrating their 20th anniversary this year um, um, Coco Beach yep wow, wow. I didn't realize that either. I know they've been going for a long time, but I didn't realize it was the 20th anniversary. Something. Yeah, and uh, so a lot of people come because it's, you know, it's right on the beach, literally right on the beach in Florida in December. Why wouldn't you go? Um, I know why you wouldn't go, Paul, is because it's hot enough there no matter what, so. you're not you're not escaping anything um so and you know it, it's it the normal the usual suspects you know um and it's good good people you know that run the show oh, and interesting mix there's normally a um an end track not really end track it's an n-scale modular group that comes that has really good modules um and a bunch of other, you know, more uh uh you know resin a lot of resin car kits uh companies <coughs> and stuff like that. Um they're actually I and I was given an offer of a possibility of a way to get my O scale boxcar done. Oh yeah. no oh no Yep. It's theoretically possible. But um unlikely. Theoretically possible but unlikely. Um but, but yeah. Well, we can
1: we can start talking about the the O scale boxcar right now, Jim.
2: No, cuz you don't mean it.
1: No, actually <laughs> I got I'm working on a G scale Evans 50 foot Evans uh-huh uh boxcar. Oh really? Yep. Yep. Okay. Helping out a friend. He he's he really wanted to match a particular prototype, mm-hmm. and uh, it turned out to be an Evans car. Okay. And G scale, okay. uh, I did this in HO. Um yeah. I took a ACF car, kind mm-hmm. of modified the side sill and the door, mm-hmm. and turned it into an Evans Seiko, You know, so. Okay.
2: So this is a single door or, they, or the
1: the 53-foot double-plug? It's a 50-foot with oh. a single 10-foot superior door. Okay, yep. And uh, you know oh. how an uh, ACF kind of has this fish belly side sill? Yep. Uh, the Evans car is kind of just like a rectangle. It comes down towards oh. the rail head, like right oh. at the stirrups, and it goes straight across underneath the door. It's kind of thicker, too.
2: Okay, now, is that the one that has the cutouts where the stirrups go, or just the one? Yes. That's- okay. Yeah, I know the one you talking about. Um, at, didn't, at, no. Uh, didn't, boy, I'm having, I'm, I'm losing my mind, apparently. Um... <laughs> <laughs> exact rail. didn't Exact rail do a version of that in N scale? Yes, oh. they did it in yep. HO and N
1: scale. Then I know the one, yeah, 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 it's that one. And I'm yeah. helping a friend out with the G scale one because he wanted to do kind of more of like a, a larger, hey, this is um, they're, he they're trying to match a prototype and they felt like the having it larger than HO. Would uh-huh. be uh, more of a centerpiece, yep. so that's what I'm, I've been helping them out with. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's been a fun project. Uh, unfortunately, the door slides, so it's like, oh yeah, we can just take that
2: right out and yep. I can scratch build a superior door pretty easy. Yep. So what 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 are you starting with? A USA Trains car, and I think it's an
1: LGB car. I think it's an LGBACF fifty foot car. Oh, okay. Um, I wish I could, right now it has a diagonal panel roof and it looks like this diagonal panel roof is screwed to the top of the car. (laughs) So I was like, well, if I could get the proper X panel on there, that'd be even better. But, you know, there's nothing out there that I've seen that has a removable X
2: panel roof. <laughs> so and if, that's if, a, if one pops be,
1: up, man, that would be great.
2: <laughs> that's a you're gonna have to find a big enough um big enough three D printer. But I would say yep. um you could probably just print the panels individually. You know, in, in mm-hmm. G scale. I'd print the panels individually and then assemble them. Yeah. That yeah, that would absolutely would be that hard. Um and that would be you know probably the easiest way to do it if you can if you can figure out how to get the roof off, then you just you know figure out how the the roof goes back on, you know how it attaches and, and then
1: used to be six screws hold on the roof, you pull out the screws the roof falls off,
2: yeah okay so all right.
1: what should we do huh? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean it, it, this thing is like optimal to. As a starting point for large scale kit bashes and stuff, you know.
2: Oh cool. I didn't realize maybe made that. Yeah. yeah, I was in um well I mean we'll we'll see what what happens, but Randy Hamill, and I don't can't think of the name of his company right now. Um not True Line Train, something different. Uh, they're doing a crowdfunding project to try to get some HO-scale boxcars done. Uh, Oh, really? Some particular cars. And, you know, know, what is it, Indiegogo, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one. Um, And uh, they're doing a campaign. They're trying to get the money together. And uh, what he asked me to do, he says, if you want to, um, we we can talk to the factory that they're using, talk to the factory and find out how much the tooling for the O-scale boxcar would be how much it would be, you know, the basic costs, and then try to do a crowdfunding thing for the boxcar. You know, try to
1: that's find That's not
2: that, a bad idea. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, guys, you know, put your money where your mouth is um, that way, and then, you know, you give people incentives, so you give this much money, you get this many cars, blah, 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 uh, but you would have to design it so it's three rail, two rail, and total 48. So, um, Obviously, the fact you know, find out what's the minimum run we'd have to do, right? And it, and it may be so high that it's just not gonna happen in no scale. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know what? If people shell out the money, <laughs> people <laughs> shell out the money, and we have enough money to do the project, then it doesn't matter. But, yeah. um, that would be you know, it, it's an interesting way you know, look into it because I have you know, I have all the hard work done mm-hmm. on, the, on that car, so. Um, and it would be using the, the same factory that's doing, um, their stuff and, um, Rapido. Um, so they're no slouches. Um, and that, those would be great cars. It'd be really cool. Cars, um, to try and, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, and that's the thing is if he, if they don't make the they've got 30 days to make the money. If they don't make the money, everybody gets their money back. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how that works. So, um, you know, and then, you know, within a year or so, you know, whatever the timeline is, you know, in a, in about a year, you'd get your cars. And so I guess that's the way they're working. And it's like you you pledge $80, you get two cars and 20% off any more than two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, have var- they have various incentive levels for what they're doing. So I see. That's cool. That's a neat way to do it. Yeah, you know, because all those people that say, oh, you ought to do this car. Oh, you ought to do this one. Oh, yeah, but like, oh, how many are you going to buy? Oh, I'll buy one.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> we get those guys all the time. I'm sure, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you do. You know, and I mean, the, the difference between, say, me talking to you, I understand one ain't going to cut it, okay? And that's why you're not going to do it. Since I, I, I'd love to see it too. I'm sure that you'd think it'd be a cool thing for Atherin to do a O scale fifty-three forty-four boxcar. I honestly believe you think it would be cool. However, you have to make money and selling three isn't gonna make you any money when you have when you have to make two thousand. Yes. You know, the minimum is you have to make two thousand. And you're probably going to sell that in HO. probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, o scale? Who knows? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I got no clue whether, the, yep. whether they would sell or not. So, and since you don't know, as cool as a project as something may be, you know, you're still going to make money. So, yep. and I understand that. Whereas some people, and I'm sure you've seen it, get all bent out of shape. Well, why won't you do it? I'll buy one. Well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, the the, oh, the thing of it too, Jim, is like, okay, you cut the tool. You really know, you're you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars yes. to yep. cut the tool. That yep. doesn't pay for the run, that wow. doesn't pay $3,000 for every map. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that doesn't pay for all the plate setup charges for the pad printer. Yep. I mean, that is just the tool it doesn't pay for the time for your time that you spent to draw and
2: nope. 3d and do all the research and all that. Yeah. <laughs> so some people don't quite get these yeah probably um, let me guess uh locomotive is about half a million right and a car is probably quarter million nominally you're not far off
1: yeah uh, 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 yeah,
2: I mean, I'm, and I'm throwing out vague numbers because I know that's proprietary information. You're not going right, to say
1: right, right? You know, yeah. I mean, it is safe to say that a locomotive project is substantially more than a freight car project. Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's, so, but that's what people. And I don't. I think people. Well, it's just a model. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, but if you want it done right. Um, and that's what drives me crazy with some of these companies that don't do it right. It's like, you spent a half a million dollars on this tooling and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, really? Really? And, you know, anyway, um, let's not go there. But, um, you know, so I, you appreciate the companies that do it right, but, you know, there's, there's a couple of things you need more than just you wanting to do it and think it's a cool project you need to have a business plan to say we're pretty sure we're going to sell it yeah well you got to recoup the investment yeah so the first run the first one pays for the tooling you hope and then any subsequent run after that is kind of gravy so you're not making any money normally on the first run you're paying the bill
1: Actually, you, you I think it's generally uh, a little bit. Of it, the first runs, it's run. it's gonna. You'll find that it's the first reruns. Oh, really. Ooh,
2: Right. Yeah. Nice. yum, yummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just remember that, folks, when you're getting all upset because they won't they won't build the um the XM twenty nine A that one railroad had and they had 3 cards of it. <laughs> and it won't do it for you because only you and 15 of your friends want it. Yeah, if you will buy one and maybe 3000 of your friends will buy one, then maybe we can talk. Yeah. I
1: mean, this is this is where I think the economy of scale is going to really sh- Show up for 3D printing because stuff that just isn't feasible to do in injected molded plastic is like yeah. you know a, a real run. Right? 3D printing is going to be like a savior for for those guys that have the you know railroad, I'd say road name specific freight car or detail part that is you know unique to that railroad that just doesn't economically scale up to you know
2: justify producing you know thousands of models so correct but i would say that right now the technology isn't there the technology is there if you want to pay a lot of money for it right Uh, yes i mean you can have anything you want 3d printed and it's going to be beautiful however (laughs) that machine costs a million (laughs) dollars But you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. That machine. I I know what you're saying. That that machine that's going to get you that in a reasonable amount of time. The little itty bitty machines you have on your desktop, it might get you one every twenty to thirty hours, maybe. And it may be okay, and it may not be. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one that will. get Get you what you want every single time and be wonderful, is is a you know half a million to a million dollar machine. The prices are coming down, but you know for you to own one, maybe a fifty thousand dollar machine, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe uh, and that's when you're going to have to buy it and then probably not going to be able to return it when it doesn't do what you want, um, and it's going to require a lot of work. You know, it's, it, it will be a hobby in, in itself. Um, but it depends on what you want. You know, it's um, so like Craig Biskeier, his clinic, um, he has some very low end printers that he has used to make some really nice looking, um, you know, 1890s box prints. And hmm. some of the imperfections that you're going to get from lower end 3D printers are fine in a boxcar from the 1890s they, they kind of right. they kind of look like the wood kind of Gives you serve a head start on the wood grain yeah yeah i mean and they they actually you know in pictures they look great you know if you stick your face right up into it with a magnifying glass you're probably going to see that they're not as detailed as you'd not like but he's getting great results. but it takes a lot of work to get there it isn't just something that you'll sit down, download a model, and zip. You know his box cars are twenty twenty hours worth of each.
1: Right, and, and then you, there's cleanup from all yep. the you know little things right. that poke to
2: hold the model in place while it's printing. <laughs> yep. and not everyone comes out right. You know, so you, you can go fifteen hours worth of printing, and then it doesn't, then it fails. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm I'm pretty sure that he built the whole thing. He printed everything flat, not as one piece. So he printed everything flat. So, you know, you spend several hours on a side, You know, and that comes out okay. Then you gotta, you know, it's a complicated process and for, you know, detail parts and stuff like that, I definitely think it's there. Um, you know, the little printers you have on your desk will absolutely get you detail parts, little, you know, little things where it doesn't take too long to print. You clean it up, you have it, you have these little things that you couldn't get otherwise, and no one's gonna make them, right. ever, um, other than you. So, <laughs> whereas with box cars and stuff like that, it, it depends on your expectations. If you expect them to be like an injected mold, mold, injection molded Athern car, You've got some time to wait, unless you're running it through a million-dollar machine. Million-dollar machine, you'll get it. Other than that, uh, if you lower your expectations, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right now, I'm sure things will get better because the prices of really good uh, machines are ridiculously low. I mean, you can get a good, um, a good, I mean, this is one of the things that Craig goes through in his clinic, but you can get a very good usable desktop SLA printer for 250 bucks. Wow. And it does nice stuff. It's not, I mean, it's not a big printing area. So you can't, I can't print a O-scale boxcar on it. I might be able to do the ends on it. He can do, No, he was able to do like, um, you know, a forty-foot underframe, total, mm-hmm. in, in it, um, and he's getting you know great results with it. But yeah, the price went down. One of them over Christmas it went down to like one hundred and seventy-nine bucks. Um, oh, really? Yeah. But then you got the resin and the other things. You know, you got to buy. But um, so yeah, that's that's his clinic. So if anybody's interested and you're anywhere where Craig Biskier is, I'm sure Craig is going to be at, at the New England uh, prototype meet, and he'll be giving that clinic. So, <clears throat> if you're interested, go to that meet.
0: Let me ask you then, you're talking about injection molded, styrene, plastics, whatever. Some of the alternatives, like what uh, Funero and uh, Carmelengo do with resin, do you think that, and Chris, maybe you've got insight, is that for their... Molds and stuff. Uh, is that any less of a investment as far as the uh, mold? Because I know nothing about molding resins and stuff like that. It's so,
2: because you don't have the tooling, the the expensive the expensive part of an injected molded molded model is the tooling, the metal molds, so that they can actually injection mold it that's the expensive bit um so yeah i mean if you spent the money you go to one of the companies that can print you you I mean like my my old scale box cars. i can go get it printed on a million dollar printer it will be fine to use as a mold i mean as a master to make a resin car kit absolutely absolutely that's absolutely viable and if you only want to do one. Of 200 cars that's the way you do it yeah and i could you know yeah. that's something i could do theoretically at my house and do it okay Whereas so the,
0: it is possible
2: right. yeah that's that that's definitely doable you know
0: so the 3d printed item becomes the mold for a dish second generation and on okay
2: yeah yeah and then i mean that's what i would suggest you know as a opposed to, and, and, um, oh, you know, if I could remember anything, I'd be dangerous.
1: Um, (laughs) uh. Sign you up for Jeopardy.
2: Yes. Yeah, well, uh, as long as you're up against me, right?
0: (laughs) Came into four of their kit's. I'd never put one together before, but I wanted some heavy-duty flat cars. And they make a number of span bolster flat cars. They make some drop center gons and, you know, with uh, six-axle or three-axle trucks and stuff. So I bought them and I went, okay, some of these parts are a little on the crude side compared to the level of fidelity, say, on an Athern Proto or... You know, Atlas, whomever. Mm. And so end ended up doing a lot of filing. Uh, some of their parts I just changed out for other people's more to scale, more finely executed parts. But it's okay. At the end of it, it was still a good-looking model. Once it's weathered, you won't see a lot of that. And, you know, with a load on it. But just curious as to the conversation and Jim's answer makes makes a lot of sense to me so
2: okay okay so ted colada uh did a clinic on how to build how to scratch build freight cars and so he does a bunch of kits as well makes molds and stuff like that and um he said that if you're you know now he would do this with 3d printing you know he would just he would design it in cad what but you know but that's another thing you need to learn um, he would design it in CAD and he would 3d print it and everything would be the right size. Nothing would be oversized and you could make it perfect. And then you just make the mold. I mean, but even if you wanted to scratch build it, he would say, like the ends, you know, 3d print the ends and then build the side yourself or whatever, you know, build the roof, whatever All you right. want, you know, 3d print it, then assemble it. Uh, you know, mo- you know, 3d print a master because the, when you 3d print it, it's going to be perfect when you make a master, whereas it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to be able to line those rivets up perfectly the way a computer can. Although he did, you know, when you're scratch building, you know, basically every car, every freight car, even if it's built in a quote-unquote factory, is scratch built because it's not like, a An assembly line when you're building a car where everything is exactly the same. you know you have a guy drilling rivets, and he ain't measuring it because he does it he does it all day long every day, so he knows he knows where they basically go, and as long as it as long as the hole goes through in the right spot, it's fine. So there's a certain amount of imperfection is okay, as you know um Chris don't let perfection become the enemy of good enough.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let me interject. Having spent the first part of my career at an ACF manufacturing plant,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: covered hoppers, uh, even in the 70s, as computer-controlled cutting machines, welding machines and stuff, were only beginning to be prototyped Use your example of the the rivet holes because there were certain things even back then still riveted in place like center plates for instance. It was a lot more precise than uh, somebody eyeballing it just because he does it all day long. There are quality control engineers and stuff behind it for the sake of repeatability uh, control of quality and stuff that are there to make sure that yeah this fastener hole goes in the same place you know each time when we stamp it out and so forth and they use locator pads and stuff but certainly in the early 20th century jim your your description would have been very very appropriate
2: i'm thinking more like 30s 40s not 30s 40s 50s maybe nowadays it's all computer controlled and you know and you'd have a template you'd slap on there and drill the holes and put in the huck bolts and, but even then, I've looked at newer, you know, newer cars and you can tell that everything isn't perfect. Now, from the distance that we would look at it from models, you're not going to be able to tell, but when you're standing right up next to it as the railroader, when you're you know, three feet away from a real one. Um, you can see everything isn't perfect. And so that's my bigger point is I think, you know, oh, I, I you know, I can't do it perfectly, so I'm not going to do it. No, I know we're kind of going round and round in the subjects. I'm sorry, but the, the bigger, the you know, looping back around to his point was, you know, now, now he would draw it in 3d print, the, print the master for the ends and cast the masters. So, that he would have all the ends be the same instead of doing six ends. Scratch building six ends doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, scratch building six ends would be kind of a
2: pain. Kind of, <laughs> yes. Yep. I mean, full that's full what full you full really like doing, but. <laughs> you know, if it makes you happy. Yep. I can think of better things to do, but if it makes you happy. Well, anyway, well
0: and- too you know chris has to deal with the expectations of multiple levels of buyer you know that have sometimes widely divergent goals yeah that's why he's got roundhouse and that's why he's got genesis you know because there's different uh expectations out there and uh i understand that you know some guys just are less concerned about fidelity to scale and, you know, the authentic nature of a model than other people are, you know. And,
2: well, yeah, yeah, but in 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 this day and age, when you're doing things uh, in three D modeling, yeah, and for me, for me to put the row of rivets in the right place takes no less time than putting it in the wrong place so nowadays it's far easier to get prototype fidelity like absolute right on the money there's no reason not to do it other than you're lazy to say well people don't care well maybe but they are certainly not going to complain that it's right they may say oh no they didn't do it like that and then when you slit, you know, you give them a picture in their face. Yes, they did. So, okay, you know, they're not going to complain that it's that it's true to true to fidelity, but they will. They you will have people complain that it isn't. And since doing it right, doing it right doesn't really take a lot much more time than doing it wrong. You're better off just doing it right in the first place. Nowadays, I mean, it's a little different when you making when you're hand making the models. But when you're doing it virtually, it's totally different. In my opinion, maybe I'm No,
0: I think that's a, that's a good point. When I weather cars or I'm making scenery for whatever at the club, I base it on photos. I go to websites, I research the photos, print them out, and when somebody says, well, I don't think a car would ever be that heavily weathered. Well, let me show you the photo it's based on, you know. Right. So, plus it gives you know. Sometimes you just want to replicate something. You don't want to sit there and be, uh, you know, an artist and go, oh, I need to do something different. No, I want to make it look just like this. And yeah. To me, it's a time saver. So.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know what? Why reinvent the wheel when? Yeah. The yeah. world, the world has already done it for you. Yes. No, uh, because I think most of the time real weathering is infinitely more interesting than anything you're gonna make up.
0: Yeah, and there's some real masters out there. I mean, good grief we see some of the photos on Pinterest or on the Model Railroad Hobbyist discussion forums and stuff. Yeah, there's just some artistes out there at locomotive and car weathering. Even building weathering. We have a, uh, at the club, we have a master model railroader, and Mr. Best, and I may have mentioned this once before, but has done a U.S. steel mill, and even when I was just walking through the club before I ever decided to apply for membership, I went by this, this, I don't know, it's 10, 12 feet long and four pushing five feet wide, and I went, good grief because i've been in steel mills as a part of my career and i went. this guy must have been a steel worker or something like that because it's not only you know and a lot of this is scratch built there are some specialty manufacturers out there that yeah we'll make a rolling mill or something like that but it's just the way he's executed it and then painted it and weathered it i mean i can almost smell the uh ingot making processes. i walk by his model and he is incredibly consumed by wanting it to be correct down to the smallest detail and so i mean i just listened to him and i am amazed because of what he does he's a nice guy too so chris you got a bunch of new stuff coming out
1: all the time paul
0: I think you've time. got some, what, really good releases coming out uh, over the summer?
1: Well, more than that, we got a lot of new releases coming out now. Okay. <laughs> we have a brand-new Genesis locomotive being launched over in Springfield. Okay. And then after that, we'll have one for Denver, Colorado at the Rocky Mountain Train Show. Okay. And after that, we'll have one in May. And then another one over in St. Louis for the National Train Show. And, of course, Train Fest. We'll have one for that. And these are all new locomotives. Okay. So there's there's a lot lot of ground that we have to cover here this year.
0: Well, the other day I was just – I was sitting here weathering some cars, and I had on the tablet on YouTube, and I – Watch some of George's uh, in-depth videos on tsunami capabilities and stuff and this gentleman uh, came up to do it was a fairly recent video uh, to do a comparison between two SD40-2s one of which was yours Mm -hmm. and it was one of the new ones where you've got that new kind of cream and blue packaging the box it's got the
1: blue oh yeah, corners yeah on it. The, the light ready blue. to roll ones right
0: yes and so it was an ekonami had uh, your speakers in it and I don't know what he was using for a camera uh, so I don't know the level of the equipment but the sound of this sd 40 2 when he brought it up and then let it start idling was incredible yeah. I went good grief I'm hearing very very low mid range on that prime over and so I'm thinking to myself I may have to just find myself one of those and add it to the fleet it sounded incredible
1: yeah yeah that's the dual cube speakers that okay. are coming in them so yep, got my we, attention. We, yep, and we just want to we want to have our products sound good. Yes, you know, uh, I think universally within Athern, you know, we're all pretty enthusiastic about you know trains in general, especially model yeah. trains. So we have a pretty critical ear and eye for. The products that we produce so we're always looking at ways to improve it and sort of separate our things out from other manufacturers and some places that we felt like uh really had a lot of opportunity for growth was you know audibly yeah trying to get away from that really tinny pitchy kind of almost white noise sounding experience to something that actually, wow, that's really pleasant to listen to. Let's just leave it idle in the yard for a little bit, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, I'm working my way through putting everything or adding ground lights to everything. And Mm. then here's George comes out, he and Nick Santos with their step lights. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Nick's got these packages he's going to be selling that have the, uh, it's a 3D printed part, I believe, that uses, uh, he's been posting about it on some of the forums, and it uses fiber optic cable. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the photos of it, and I'm going, wow, that is really a good effect. And one of the guys at the club was kidding me. He said, you go, add all these lights to your locomotives, he said, but I'm looking at your Union Pacific Streamliner just went back and the rear light didn't lit. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, thank you for noticing. So (laughs) I brought it home and it's kind of like a mushroom on the very end of that squared off ACF produced observation car that was built in the mid-50s. You just can't get in there and pop that out. To put in a piece of red uh, styrene, you know, 16th inch diameter styrene, and put a small uh, LED on it and run it down to the trucks and power it. And there's just no room to do that. And because it's mushroomed, if I drill it out, then what am I going to do with this big hole on the end? Yeah. So, I went in there and... Put an LED in, made a cover for it so the light wouldn't bleed out, tested it, gave me the right effect, and then like an idiot, hooked it up and tested it on track power. Oh, look, I forgot to put the resistor in line. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, so one second after the poof, then I went back in and I thought, okay, I put this in too well, so the only way I could get the old LED out and these are just like little one millimeters. Uh, and teeny tiny. I had to cut in there and cut off part of the white light, which would have been the backup light, which I didn't care. And then mount this thing in and uh, tested it. And it, it lights, it doesn't light as well as it did before. But the, uh, the other thing was, you know, I guess most of, what Proto puts out now are capable of having optional light kits plugged in. Mm-hmm. right And so I ran the wires across the top under the dome platform, and I used little bits of shrink tube as conduit to you know control the wire and brought it over, uh, put a hole down to the truck, or first went to the tabs up on the roof. I could not get solder to adhere to whatever these tabs are oh they're, no they're bright and shiny and yeah they're probably made to rub together with similar material but I could not solder the wires so I just I went what well, the heck with this so I went down through the floor uh and into the truck where you know on the Walters truck there's two screws on either side that rub the contact. So I just soldered the wire together and Ran one on one side, one on the other, and it and it works and but I went, yeah, you know, sometimes it seems so simple and then that, so uh, I've got two more going in a a m HM car this time, I will not hook these up until there is <laughs> a resistor on them. Here, I just had to drill out the the molded lights on the back and put styrene tube in them uh. So but yeah, sometimes it starts so simple and then just goes awry in a hurry.
1: Oh, I know that.
0: <laughs> so Yes sir. My wife has this small little Christmas tree and on when and when we put it out, you know, after Thanksgiving, the lights wouldn't work. So ten bucks she goes to the store, buys another twenty foot string of these lights under battery powered and that's she's taking the old ones off and I said, here let me see those. And they're LEDs mm-hmm. just with wires. And of course they're wired in series. So I cut off about two feet of it, brought it up here, stripped off the ends, put it on a three volt battery. They all lit up. And mm. I went, like, Wow, would this be good to put in a building? Yeah, you know, where you mm. just want to have light on the floors. Or I thought, yeah, these little guys could be a little dab of silicone on a car with an interior and they would light it because mm. it's a nice warm yellow. And so I said, where did you get these? She said, Walmart. And I went, holy cow. So you never know where you're going to find these things that uh, now they're encapsulated in a, in a, a clear, I'm going to say it almost looks like that uh, bonded stuff, which is kind of a styrene that cures under ultraviolet light. That's what it looks mm-hmm. like. But there may be the equivalent of an 0603 uh, or an 0402 surface mount LED and put off good light because I thought, boy, wow. Maybe that's what I would put back in that UP car, but no, I'm not going to take that roof off again. I'm happy with the way it is. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I do have buildings to light for my little layout here. And I showed some of the guys at the club, and I said, look, you know, when you've just got to have light coming through the windows, I said, here, look at this. This just can't be cheap. So... Just the right resistor and it'll run off the uh you know, the power to the to the track. I mean, that's just typically thirteen to fourteen volts. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what else is going on? Anybody have anything else they want to talk about?
1: Well, kind of what we were talking about way, way, way earlier about that Tam Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was. There's a video that just came out on the BlueRail.com website, and okay. it's really pretty neat because the thing that really attracted me to this new Tam Valley system that they're working with Blue Rail on, okay, uh, on the app on your phone, you have yes. real-time control of your volume of your locomotive. Really. So you can turn up and down the volume on your sound decoder on the fly wow welcome to the
0: 21st century
1: (laughs) yeah i've got a coolest thing
0: i use a we throttle at uh the club that ties into the wi-fi so i took one of my old cell phones and that's what i use as a throttle but you're right there on that you know i can blow the horn and stuff like that but can't do anything above f8 and you sure can't go into cv63 or 128 or whatever it may be to change the volume that's amazing
1: yeah it's well this little module has uh it, it's pretty much an, a command station hooked up to a bluetooth the size of like a dentine sort of gum stick of gum it's really tiny wow and what you can do is reprogram all your CVs on the fly using your phone. Jeez. It's totally incredible. I mean, it's going to totally, in my mind, reinvent the programming track. (laughs) And may completely eliminate a few of them too in some cases. So uh, what I plan to do here is post this video on the Facebook group for For our podcast, okay, and have a look at it. Tell me what you think. I'm really interested in hearing what you think about that, Paul, because he's okay. showing like an o scale locomotive, and yeah, there's a five amp version, but the two amp one is really tiny, so I think that one's more designed for h o and maybe some n scale too,
0: okay, we'll do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I wrote it down. Blue Rail, right? They've got a yeah. uh, website.
1: Bluerail.com. Let me just verify that, but I'm pretty sure that's that's the website address. bluerail.com. No, nope. I stand corrected. Let me let me look it up real quick. Blue Rail DCC. I bet bluerailtrains.com. dot Blue com. Okay. So. Yeah, that That's was kind neat. of the Eureka moment of of the past couple of weeks. I thought that was really neat.
0: Okay. Well, I guess one last thing. I've had to bow out of the Springfield show. Oh, really? Yeah. I had gotten to the point of researching the Amtrak schedules. You had given me your information because there must be 10 guys from the club going up, but they're, they're flying up no this has to do I need to be here my wife has had a health issue and I can't be halfway across the country and uh, even though she's getting better and she's going no you need to go and I'm saying no I don't I need to be here and help you I said you know if the Lord tarries there'll be a show next year I can go to don't worry about it yep so uh, yeah so I won't be at uh springfield but if she continues to uh, get better and so forth then yeah maybe one of the shows later on like you mentioned st louis and stuff but we do what we got to do you know yeah
1: yeah no i hope your wife continues to recover and gets back on back on her feet and feeling better
0: yeah so yeah we'll see jim how about you anything no not really
2: um no, I mean I've I've been working so much lately that I haven't had a long, bunch of time to do anything with Model Railroad, but um
0: Well that's a good news.
2: Okay. You could be not working. I could be not working, yes. Uh been yeah, I've been working a lot and you know, so the going to Coco has kind of, you know, reinvigorated some things. So we'll that
0: was vacation, wasn't it? It was. yeah, that was that
2: was a vacation. You know, spent a bunch of time at Disney World and then went to Coco and um, so All right. All
0: right. Yeah, it looked like you had a lot of fun a lot of nice pictures posted there on uh Facebook. So
2: Yeah. Always good time at Disney. Always
0: Yeah, and you neither you or Craig were arrested for you know, doing anything silly. So that was a good trip.
2: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Didn't get, arrested. <laughs> Didn't get <arrested. laughs> okay I didn't get arrested and somebody approached me and said, so how would you like to do that O-scale car? I'm like.
0: <laughs> that's that's funny because I, I was going to bring up <laughs> the O-scale car and then you did and got on to a legitimate conversation oh, yeah, about it.
2: Legitimate comment, yeah, legitimate conversation about it. Like, well, you know, that's but you know, <laughs> it's a really reasonable way. You know, you really want it. Fine. Yeah. Pony up. Pony up. Well, you don't. Then we don't have it. So,
0: Athern just missed out their chance on the booming uh, uh, Proto 48 boxcar market.
2: Well, either that or it works really well. And and Chris comes to me and says, About that box.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: You never know. I doubt it. <laughs> I ain't doubt it. But, you know, well, no, you know, it probably wouldn't be Chris. It would be like Lionel or something like that, somebody like that So, About <laughs> that about your box.
0: Uh, can we buy that from you?
2: Yeah. Like, uh, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, look, that's all I've got. I know, Jim. You've got to get out of good grief at what, going on. Ten thirty there.
2: Oh God, no! It's not bad. Uh, this is my day off, so okay. Um, well, yeah, that's why Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights are fine.
0: Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Or at least I mentioned a
0: time, and even my wife goes. Doesn't he work the next day? And I said, well, normally he does. I said, maybe he's on you know, a different shift or something. Okay, day off. Good yeah. deal.
2: It's a day off. I work uh, Thursday through Monday so okay. uh, at night. So my day starts at 3 p.m. and ends at 1 a.m. normally. Lucky you. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a bad shift, actually. Um, not very many people, so hoorah.
0: Right. Well, that's all I got, gentlemen. I thank you for your time. Roger.
2: Thanks. Well, thank you.
0: All right, guys. Talk. We'll talk soon.